Before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you that if you are listening on a platform other than Spotify, you can only hear the last 60 days of new Rewatchables episodes, plus these six classics, The Godfather, Heat, The Social Network, Old School, Jaws, and The Town. For the entire archive, go to Spotify, where you can listen to every episode for free. This episode is brought to you by USAA Insurance. No matter how many times you've seen it, USAA is a crowd pleaser. That's because bundling auto with home or renters insurance saves you money. USAA understands the needs of our military veterans and their eligible family members, and they've got great rates and insurance options to meet them. See how much you can save. Tap the banner to learn more and get a quote at usaa.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Coca-Cola. Listen up, Marvel fans. Coca-Cola and Marvel are teaming up to release limited edition Coca-Cola products featuring your favorite Marvel characters. You can assemble your own Marvel universe. And if you scan your Coca-Cola, you'll have a chance to win super-powered prizes and unlock powerful AR experiences. But you got to hurry. These collectibles won't last long. No purchase necessary. Open to legal residents of the U.S. and D.C. who are 13 and up. Ends on June 30th, 2024. Visit coke.com slash marvel24 for official rules. The Rewatchables are coming to your TV. Check it out on AMC during My Cousin Vinny on Friday, November 13th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, two Utes taking a deep dive into this classic. Don't miss it. The Rewatchables on AMC is presented by Blue Moon, brewed with Valencia orange peel for a taste beyond the ordinary the next time. Need a taste of the extraordinary? Open up a Blue Moon. Celebrate responsibly. Blue Moon Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. To infinity and beyond. This is the Rewatchables Toy Story. Okay, everybody. Ghost is clear. This holiday season. It's showtime. Turn on your imagination. That's using the old noodle. When toys come to life. Boo, boo, boo. Walt Disney Pictures presents the first ever computer animated feature film. Code Red, we are Code Red. To infinity Boom. and beyond. <laughs> Toy Story, rated G. I'm Sean Fennessy. I am joined by Mallory Rubin and Shea Serrano. What's up, guys? How are you? What up, baby? I feel Sean? great. I feel great today. Shay, <laughs> just want to say this to both of you. First of all, say it's it. a pleasure to be here with you. And second of all, I just want to say. Say it. As the years go by. There oh, my is. God. <laughs> there it is. Our friendship will never <laughs> okay, that's enough uh, singing just, for now. Should we sing? Should we break into song together? No, we're not singing. Think? We're here to talk about an important movie. We're talking about Toy Story. This is the per- first Pixar movie. It's 25 years old this month. It was released on November 22nd, 1995. We always like to start this show by asking people where they were and who they were when the movie was released. Shay, I'll start with you. Do you remember seeing Toy Story for the first time? I do. I had never seen like a movie that looked animated like this before. I remember that standing out. I was 14 at the time, so this was still a thing I was interested in. Like, I'm watching any animated stuff. The lasting memory that I have from this involves my cousin, my younger cousin, Gary. We went they, we went and saw it, like, in our little family pod. His family went and saw it. 
And then like later that night, his dad found him, if I remember correctly, setting up all of the toys in his room. And then he would like leave for a few minutes and then fucking bust back in and try to catch them being alive <laughs> or to see if they had moved a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Um, it, there's just like a certain amount of magic in this movie that I greatly enjoy. Mallory, what about you? So I believe I was nine years old when this movie came out. A baby, baby mouth. A child. <laughs> and, uh, you know, always captivated by the imaginative aspects of life. I used to spend a lot of time thinking about my toys and what things were like for them. I used to, I used to think about really a lot of like inanimate objects or, or things that were around me, like the surrounding aspects, the orbit of my life. And what, <laughs> what, what, what the, like for, here's the thing I, I regularly used to think about when I was please, a kid. Seriously. Please. I used to wonder about if like I was hurting the air. Like if I waved a knife through the air, was I was sure. I cutting the air? Was I hurting the air? I used to think about things like that all the time. <laughs> you know, if you unzip a zipper and you leave like you leave a jacket unzipped in a closet, like do the two sides of the zipper miss each other? These things like <laughs> uh, just obsessed me when I was a kid. Okay, so I was really wow. I was a, a, a prime audience for this movie, and I loved it. I loved it. And I obviously love a good coming-of-age story in general, but I think the fact that I kind of grew up with the Toy Story movies makes them even have, like, more of an embedded and permanent place in my heart than maybe they otherwise would have. <laughs> Very special movie. Uh, as usual, Demaler, you're insane. Um <laughs> But in an in an endearing way, I think. Thanks. I think a very in a, in a very sweet way, and I, I think that this is the kind of movie that can draw out that kind of emotion. That can draw out that kind of uh, kind of philosophy in a way. It's a weirdly oh, yeah. a, a deep movie, and it's a movie that has a central a core idea. Yeah, that I think lets it persist as really one of the most important movies of the last thirty or so years. I'm excited to talk to you guys about it, um, Shay. As you pointed out, it's oh, really no, no, like. No. Hold on. Where were you when you first oh, saw Toy oh. Story? You're not getting off the hook that easily. <laughs> so uh, I was 36. It was about 3 a.m. <laughs> no, I was, I was, I think, 13 when this movie came out. So very similar to Shay. I, I did see it in movie theaters. I think by that point, I had gotten the, the movie pill. You know, I had really, I'd been reading movie magazines. I had a deep awareness of kind of what was coming out and when. And this movie was really touted as an event because it was the first feature-length film from this company called Pixar. And Pixar was, you know, <laughs> co-launched by Steve Jobs. And it was meant to be, it was like a huge innovation. Y'all were the weirdest, nerdiest kids I've ever heard of <laughs> in my life. Sh young Sean fucking reading movie magazines. Mallory worried about the oxygen in the air. I just don't understand any of this. Well, it's not hard to see how we ended up where we did. Yes. Um, but I, I, you know, I fell in love with it, obviously. And I think in addition to it being this great story of... Um, a boy and his and his toys it's you know it's a it's a buddy movie it's a it's a great buddy comedy in in the tradition of a lot of the movies that Shay you know you've talked about on this show in the past and Mal you're you're a you're a fan of buddies you know you I love, buddies. You, <laughs> I love pals so so it's it's got like two tracks right it's got this sentimental connection that most people who are of this gen the generation that we're a part of connect to it in a very specific way but it's also this really important movie in movie history and it's uh i've been informed that i think this is the first animated film that we've ever done on the rewatchables so you guys Astounding. are a part of history yet another accolade unbelievable um, let's do some some data points before we talk more okay. about the movie so 
This movie, of course, was, uh, as I said, the first Pixar movie directed by John Lasseter. It was written by a number of people, uh, including Joss Whedon and Andrew Stanton, who went on to be a very important filmmaker in the Pixar system. It was also written by Joel Cohen and Alec Sokolow. The cast, pretty, uh, pretty iconic pair of leads, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen as Woody and Buzz Lightyear. And then a, a collection of comic legends, Don Rickles, of course, the legendary insult stand-up comic, Jim Varney, for all you Ernest fans. You big Ernest goes to jail guy, Shay? Yeah, absolutely. Remember when he has the gun made of soap and then the barrel <laughs> melts? <laughs> Loved it. Incre- incredible pull. Uh, Wallace Shawn, John Ratzinger, Ratzenberger, rather, Annie Potts, number of other f- luminaries voicing the characters in this movie. The score is by one of my heroes, the great Randy Newman. He is the author of the song that Mallory was weirdly singing at the top of this podcast. <laughs> uh, this movie was budgeted at $30 million uh, and it made $373 million. That's so solid. If, you're, if you're wondering why most of the animated movies you see these days are digitally animated, it's because this movie was a massive success and basically changed the game for animation, both for Disney and really for the whole industry at large. So I wanted to talk about a couple of different things before we get into more details around the movie. Um, specifically the idea of digital animation. So Shay, you said you had never really seen anything like that. At the time, were you kind of aware of the work that went into Toy Story to make it look the way that it did? (laughs) Of course I wasn't. I was 14 years old. (laughs) I was not aware of the work that went into the, to making Toy Story look the way it did. All that I knew was I saw it on the, in the commercials or in the trailer at the movie theater. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like that was, that was, that was it for me. Because again, if I'm 14 at the time, like I was probably pulling away from that sort of stuff. Mm. And then you, 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 you know, I think that's the age where you like say you're not interested in it, but really you still are. And you're like, I guess I'll do it if I have to. And then you go watch it and you're like, this is fucking great. I love this. I love this thing. But no, I didn't, I don't know. I still don't know how they make it. I have no clue. I completely agree with that point specifically, which is that I think that this movie got me hooked on animated movies for life. I think the fact that it arrived at the time that it did, I was at a very similar moment where I was like, you know, maybe I should be aging out of this stuff. And I've been super loyal and super enthusiastic about animated movies. And that's another reason why Pixar changed things. Mal, at nine years old, I assume you did not have an awareness of the amount of time and detail (laughs) it takes to create a film such as this. I think probably not. <laughs> hard, to, hard to recall for sure what level of scholarship I applied to assessing that particular question. But I think that the most I could say is that I probably was aware that it looked a little different than other things that I had seen and that there was something like cool and futuristic about that. I I found myself kind of awed rewatching it to prep for this pod, like how well it has held up visually in terms of the aesthetic. I actually, I rewatched all all four of the Toy Story movies this week and then went back to the first one. And when you do it that way and you're going from four to one, it's like, oh yeah, of course, this looks quite different. But when I first Mm -hmm. booted up one, other than the the uncanny nature of the humanoid (laughs) face effect, which I'm sure we'll talk about I want to talk about that. The rest of it is just remarkable. And then again, you get to four and you look at something like the rain on the window pane. And I I, I, I almost was like, did I like take like an edible that I don't remember taking today? It was just, <laughs> it's just so like, gripping and all consuming, but it, it's remarkable. I, I want to remark upon the thing that both of you just cited though, which is that have I aged out of this question that you were asking yourselves? Because I think that that meta quality to the Pixar stories and the stories Pixar tells is really part of the experience, a part of the magic of it. You know, again, like any great coming of age story, 
that one of the key ingredients and the key qualities is the ability to appeal to you in a different way, depending where you are in your life, you know, and it's probably going to reach you and grip you in some way, but that that's going to, that's going to change over time. And then you'll hit a moment where the nostalgia of it and of recalling how it felt to you that first time is the overwhelming effect. And then there will be the moment where, you know, like I am not a, a, a parent, for example, but should I become one one day? I imagine that will be like a remarkable experience sharing this with my kid and watching them have that same kind of experience with it. So I just, uh, I think that that is like almost deliberate in a way, you know, knowing that the people who are watching it are probably going through like what Andy is going through across the movies. So that's a good segue to the next question I wanted to ask you both, which is this isn't the first movie for children that appeals sincerely to adults, but do you do you think that it basically kicked off a revolution of movies in which many children's movies, arguably most children's movies, are also simultaneously designed to appeal to parents that are taking their kids to the movies? Shay, what do you think? I th- I think yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. They do a bunch of stuff in here that I'm talking about, like the, in the larger universe, that is really interesting to dig into when you're a grown up. Like it's just fun to be like, oh. I recognize this thing from that movie there. They're all connected here. I remember the the Pixar uh, universe theory coming out and everybody just being sort of like absorbed by it and thinking of, oh, yeah. of, of how cool it was. But yeah, it definitely feels like that. Even now when we're going to go watch a movie, like if you see the Pixar logo, you automatically know that whatever thing you're going to watch is going to be well-made and, and smart and it's going to pull something out of you. It doesn't feel the same as other animated movie. I, I remember going to watch The Secret Life of Pets with my kids and the Pixar thing didn't come up. And I was like, wait, this is not a Pixar thing. And then I didn't think the movie was great. I didn't think it was great. I, I, but when I see the Pixar logo come up, I know, oh, cool, cool, cool. This is going to be like a real thing that I'm going to be a part of. Now, you know, you're an adult woman and you just said you watched four <laughs> Toy Story movies this week. Do you, when you do that, um, do you feel do you feel like um, you're insane or do you feel like you're doing the right thing? No, I feel like I'm living my life honestly and purely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be you know to be to be candid, like I let's see how emotional should we get this early in the podcast? I think that Go like one it. of the Go one of the it. great joys I've had over the last few years working at the Ringer and talking about the stories that I love on on podcasts like Binge Mode and the Rewatchables and Big Pick and everything is is actually just being able to say unapologetically, I love this thing. It brings me mm-hmm. a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. And no, part of what I love about it is that every time I return to it, I find something different in there that either I I missed before or I can appreciate anew or resonates with me differently. So it was a it was a great thrill for me to revisit these films. And then I found myself, of course, craving a larger full Pixar rewatch and thinking about like what's my personal Pixar top five. I adjusted my personal Pixar top five this week what during is this it? rewatch. Say it, say it right now. Wow, I did. I adjusted it. It's uh, I had a shakeup. I had a shakeup. Fire, fire away. Share on them. We want them. Okay. Uh, number one. I think probably forever it would be hard to unsee it. Wally. It's just an Wally, absolute Wally's also in my top five. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> one of the Good greatest start. love stories ever. Good told. start. Good start. Okay, that's number one for you. Yes. Okay. What's number two? Up. I'm nah. out. I'm out on the list already. The best first ten minutes. <laughs> and then yes. the the ten the, those ten minutes of up, I would put on par with any Shakespearean tragedy. Whoa. What is happening? <laughs> if, if, it, I if, 
If it was, if that was the whole movie, like remember when they made what was it, a uh, bow or something like that? Yeah, remember when they yeah, made short. that that short. Yeah. If it was that, and that was the end of Up, it would I would be like, all right, I think yeah, you can make this argument, but it just peters off too far. No, I it's agree. wonderful. Okay, okay, that's Next. number two. What's three? Here's the shakeup. Toy Story three. At number three. Hey, there you go. Not that's only my number, my that's top, my number. overall top five, but I realized it was my favorite Toy Story movie, which I, it, I don't too. think I had mine full too. clarity. Let's go, Mallory. About You're that back before. in the game, baby. You're back in the game. <laughs> so I... <laughs> thank you, Shay. Uh, there was a, a moment during Toy Story 3, my viewing of Toy Story 3 this week, where my husband, Adam, had to turn to me and pause the movie and say, do you need a moment? Because I was <laughs> weeping. Like... Freely sobbing. Basically for, I think what ultimately must be like 15 straight minutes from the moment when all of the toys grab hands That's as the they're part approaching right there. the, the when flame. When they give up. When the, they give up. Oh, it's, God. It's not giving up. That's the thing. That's the beauty of it. It's accepting... No, it's that's good. They, they, they gave you up. Got, you got to save this for the Toy Story 3 okay, pod okay. in we'll 2027. Put okay. <laughs> we'll put a pin on that. But then that straight through. I mean, the sequence where Andy gives the toys to, to Bonnie and reflects on what they meant to. It's just so <laughs> devastating. It's so beautiful. Anyway, next, number four, Coco. Flawless. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And then number five, Inside Out. So The Incredibles got knocked off my list. Toy Story got knocked off my list in recent years, but they're runners up and Finding Nemo as well. That's my. What about yeah. you? What are your Pixar top fives? Do it, Sean. I, I did this on a pod with Rob Harville a couple of years ago. I, I have some of those movies. I can't even remember the exact order. I, I have to give a shout out to Ratatouille, which I, I have always a loved. A great one. Yeah. Um, I, gosh, I don't know what else is on my list that we didn't talk through. You know, I'm not a big Monsters, Inc. person. Um, Me neither. I don't know. What else? What Shay, what about you? What's on your list? Coco is number one. It's got to be number one. Yeah. I, I think one. that just bulletproof from opening from the like the whatever the Disneyland or Disney World thing to the very end. Fucking remember perfect. me is outstanding. <laughs> Instant Co- tears. Coco is number one. I'm with Mallory on Toy Story 3. I think that's the best Toy Story. Yeah. Give me Toy Story 3 for my number two. Give me Wally for my number three. Give me Toy Story 1 for my number four. And give me, this is my surprise pick. Give me cars for number five. Oh, can't wow. do it. Big, uh, can't big do it. Wilson guy. <laughs> no, no. Big, uh, no I sure, listen, I, I, I did not watch this when it came out in the theater. I didn't watch it when it was like a thing, but I was teaching. It was the end of the semester. We were doing the whole like, it's the day before Christmas break. We're going to show a movie and have our little snacks. And we put on cars. This is how much I liked cars. I put on cars. I started watching it. Because I, I have to like sit at the back of the class. All the kids are in front of me and the, the screen's up there because I got to make sure everybody's doing whatever. And I start out, you know, monitoring and then I just get pulled into the movie by the, you know, 45 minutes, an hour into the class. I'm not even paying attention to the kids. I'm just watching the movie. The, the bell rings. They leave. The next class comes in. I make them watch it from where I was. I don't even restart it for them. I'm like, I gotta see, I gotta see the end of this. When oh Lightning God. McQueen fucking hits the brakes before the finish line and goes back to get Doc. Forget about it. That's my number five. And then honorable mentions, Inside Out and Finding Nemo. But there you go. That's my list. Oh, I forgot about Finding Nemo. I agree. Finding Nemo and Inside Out are probably in my top five as well. Okay. So let's just put put a little context around this and what a major event Toy Story was and why it's got us so 
so verklempt about Pixar in general. So when after this movie came out, Lasseter received a Special Achievement Academy Award for, quote, the development and inspired application of techniques that have been made possible for the first time in a feature-length computer-animated film. So as you guys know, I'm a huge Oscars nerd. This movie was also nominated for a handful of other Oscars, including Best Original Screenplay, Best Score, Best Song, etc. But that Special Achievement Oscar, there has not been one given out for a feature film since this happened. 25 years have gone by because that's what a cataclysmic moment this was in movies and digital animation that, you know, these things only come out. I think there have only been 15 total in the history of the Oscars and very few of them are as seismic as this one. Um, this movie has a 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes. Which as of course it should. Means nothing, but also in this case is, is, is just. I wanted to ask you about that. That's, how rare is that? Well, it's it's a, that's actually a very complicated question, and I don't want to waste too much time on it here in this conversation, but <laughs> um, the scoring has changed a lot in the last 10 years, and there are more critics than there ever have been. I take it more seriously for a film that is this old. When a film is this old, that means that they're drafting off of original reviews. There's now like literally hundreds, even thousands of critics weighing in on, I don't know, what's a good example of this? Um Let's take uh, let's take an MCU movie for example, like Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Probably has a super high Rotten Tomato score. It's a good movie. I like it. It's probably not worthy of whatever ludicrous score that it has. But with something that's twenty five years old, I take that one hundred percent pretty seriously. And it's a rare case of doing so. Um, Roger Ebert. We always talk about what he said about a movie. Uh, he gave Toy Story four stars in 1995 and called it, quote, a visionary roller coaster ride of a movie and also said, seeing Toy Story, I felt some of the same exhilaration I felt during Who Framed Roger Rabbit, also one of my favorite movies of all time. So what, what else should we say about this movie before we dig into it? I want to talk a little bit about where it came from and how it evolved. And I thought maybe we could talk about buddy movies a little bit, too, before we get into the categories. Um, what, what do you guys want to talk about, Shay? You want to talk about buddy movies? Yeah, I love buddy movies. Let's talk about buddy movies. Where do Buzz and Woody stand in the Pantheon? You know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, They're 48 Hours. They're on par with them. The Blues Brothers. Wait, they got No, they got to be above 48 Hours because I don't, I can't right now remember the characters' names. I just know the movie stars. <laughs> okay, Lethal Weapon. Uh, They're above Lethal Weapon. Midnight Run. Above Midnight Run. Wow. Abbott and Costello. Uh, way above. Uh, what about bad boys? It's now we're now we're talking. Now we're in my now we're in my wheelhouse. It's gonna be up there. Martin and 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 Will, Buzz and Woody. That's that's they're hanging out together. Yeah. Jeez. Mal, where, where are Buzz and Woody in your in your buddy movie pantheon? Well, I don't consider myself the the same class of buddy comedy or buddy movie expert as you two, obviously. So I'll I'll defer to your wisdom here. But you know, I think that what makes the aspect of their buddy journey so compelling and rewarding is that they really had to work for it, you know? <laughs> it super, wasn't easy super. for them. There's a lot going on in their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Real rivalry from the jump. And I'll tell you one of the things I forgot about this movie. It is short. Yeah. Really, really, really it short. Goes, it goes fast. And so they have to get you there in a hurry, establish all of Woody's fear and doubt, Buzz's complete lack of mooring and grasp on reality, the rivalry, the rage, the betrayal, the murder attempt, the sidekicks turning on Woody, the journey to Pizza Planet, getting captured by Sid, the absolutely 
agonizing sequence where Buzz <laughs> sees his own commercial, which we'll talk about more later, <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> the escape attempt, all of it, like, it's it's one of the things that I love so much about the movie is in many ways, the Toy Story s- sequence as a whole, the series as a whole, the prism through which you access everything is Andy's maturation and growth, right? That's that's the the driver of the plot is that Andy is getting older. But then every character has their own journey. And the fact that you get those for Woody and Buzz, even though they're starting off in completely opposite ends of the spectrum from their point of view, their intentions, they end up in, in, in such alignment, but still with their own unique perspective and personality. It's just, it's great. <laughs> they're great. But you also then, you, you got to root for them together, but also you got to kind of pick a side. Like, were you mm-hmm. team Woody or team Buzz, which I think was also part of the movie's charm. And that continues to this day with like the colors, the iconography associated with them. Like, are you going to get your, if you're getting your Toy Story sneakers, are you going to get Buzz Lightyear colorway? I would. <laughs> you're, a bu- you're a Buzz, you're a Buzz Lightyear head, as they say. You know, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Talk about it. It's, it's a little more complicated, I think, because I find myself most invested in Woody's character arc, certainly. Mm-hmm. And I think that Woody's journey is really at the heart of all of the movies, pretty unambiguously. But I'm always like, a, I'm a space kid. I was and am a space kid, not a cowboy kid. So, huh. you know, the the like in the second Toy Story movie, Zerg coming in and doing the Darth Vader bit, is just like absolute genius to me. And I love that. And also I think that, you know, part of the same reason that Andy was so drawn to Buzz, that had the the same effect took over the audience. You know, those bright colors, the whirs, the laser beam, like you're supposed to be drawn to him. He's supposed to grip you in a way that I think maybe someone with like a subtler disposition in an older soul, like perhaps Sean Fennessy was probably like, I want to sit here with my glass of of rye and... (laughs) My 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 tweed, and I want to reflect on movie history, and I want to do that with Stinky Pete and uh, Bullseye and Woody by my side. Um, yeah, you know, I think whether you're a Buzz or a Woody is an interesting philosophical question, um, and it, you don't have to be entirely restricted. Some people might be a Rex, you know, some people might be a Mister Potato Head. Who can say? But. I think specifically, I, ha- I have some damning questions about Woody uh, that we'll get to later in the pod, and and because of that, I don't want to I don't want to self identify yet as one or the other. I did, but th- I think this is also a good segue to kind of talking about the origins of this movie, which I think are important before we get into the categories. So the original treatment for Toy Story, which Lasseter and Andrew Stanton and Pete Doctor wrote, all the, 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 all three of whom are very significant figures in Pixar history, did not have a lot in common with where this movie turned out. It paired a character called Tinny, which was a one man band from. From a, a short film called Tin Toy that Pixar made with Woody, a ventriloquist dummy, and it sent them on a sprawling odyssey. Under Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was working at Disney at the time, Woody was the main villain abusing the other toys until they rallied against him. However, after Disney executives saw the storyboards, they relinquished creative control to Pixar. The core idea of Toy Story was present from the treatment onward. Toys deeply want children to play with them and that this desire drives their hopes, their fears, and their actions. Katzenberg felt the original treatment was problematic and told Lasseter to reshape Toy Story as more of an odd couple buddy picture and suggested they watch some classic buddy movies like The Defiant Ones and 48 Hours, in which two characters with different attitudes are thrown together and forced to bond. It's interesting what could have been. 
You know, this could have been a very different kind of... Imagine Evil Woody. I think you yeah, see... the original Lotso. Yes, exactly. You see some reflections in, yeah. in, in some of Woody's uh, more unfortunate moments in this movie, too. You know, he wasn't able to totally shed some of that bad action. <laughs> um, I, so I'm not I, interested I, I, in the evil toys, as a, especially in the first movie. I think you, 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 you work your way toward that with Lotso, but... I don't know, as a child who was scarred by uh, the viewing of child's play when I was seven years old, I would not be interested in seeing that version of Woody. I can tell you that. Yeah, they, played it, out, they, pl- they played it out exactly right. They played it out exactly right. You, you're not ready for it until you get to Lotso. And then they fucking drop that Lotso hammer on you for real. Uh, before we go any further, I think we'd be remiss if we did not mention something very specific about John Lasseter, who is the yes. director of this movie and an important figure in Pixar history. In November of 2017, Lasseter took a leave of absence after acknowledging allegations of workplace sexual misconduct, including grabbing, kissing, and making comments about physical attributes. He eventually left Disney in June of 2018. Um, the alleged conduct became so well known that according to Variety at various times, Pixar had minders who were tasked with reining in his impulses he eventually left in June of 2018 and now works elsewhere in the animation business. Uh, just think it's important to cite that because he's a very important figure in the history of this company, but also um, can't that stuff can't go unacknowledged. Uh, let's take a quick break and then dive into the categories. We're going to get into the most rewatchable scene soon. And spoiler alert, that scene revolves around pizza in many ways. But before we do that, let's take a break to talk about Pizza Hut. The most rewatchable segment of today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Pizza Hut. Everyone's got their own unique taste when it comes to their favorite scenes. And that's no different when it comes to your favorite pizza. That's why Pizza Hut created the $10 Tastemaker. It's a large pizza with up to three of your favorite toppings for just 10 bucks. It's the go-to way to get your go-to topping combo. In Toy Story, I'll give you a little spoiler alert. My most rewatchable scene is you got it the moment when woody and buzz get stuck at the gas station on their way to pizza planet scenes like that are the ones we never get tired of watching and the ten dollar tastemaker is the pizza you'll never get tired of ordering head to pizzahut.com and order your very own ten dollar tastemaker no one out pizzas the hut tastemaker legal disclaimer additional charge for pan and stuffed crust priced higher in some locations limited time offer availability of contactless curbside and delivery areas charges and minimums vary delivery charge not tip Okay, we're back. Most rewatchable scene. Mm. Now, Mal, you pointed out that this movie is really short. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to break it up into scenes. It's more like three big acts. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, I was kind of curious what I have a couple of ideas and a couple of like great moments, but I found it a little bit difficult to chop it into scenes. I think the first, my first nomination is definitely for just the toys coming to life. Andy leaves the room and he's finished playing with his toys for the day and we see these toys spring to life. Okay, first item today. Uh, oh yeah. Has everyone picked a moving buddy? What? Moving buddy? You can't be serious. Well, I didn't know we were supposed to have one already. But we have to hold hands. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys think this is a big joke. That's on my list as well. Um, mm-hmm. I I have actually a lot to say about that that sequence and I it's difficult because you're right. It's it's emblematic of what you're saying. It connects almost completely to these scenes, quote unquote, on either end. You know, there's the opening kind of montage and these playtime. And then we go into Buzz's arrival and you you sort of have to just make the decision to say these are standalone scenes. Um, But that moment, the the first meeting of the toys, the toys coming to life when Andy's birthday party is unfolding, is just like a masterclass. I mean, every single thing about it. You are 
you are are pulled and ported into their world fully and completely right away. And it's on, on the heels of that opening sequence where you see how Andy plays with everyone. You hear You've Got a Friend in Me kick in for the first time when you see the logo drop. It's... It, there's something about seeing the, the toys come to life where you're like, okay, of course I knew to expect this. It's literally the premise of the movie, but it's just magical. It is just completely magical. And then it all happens so quickly and organically from there. You meet everyone. You see their personalities. You understand their dynamic with each other. You understand the mechanisms of their routine, how they operate in the universe, how remarkably remarkably inventive they are as they go about their house and go about their day and their lives. You see that Woody is in charge, but that everyone has their role. Everyone has their rhythm together. You know, they call it a staff meeting, but it's very clear that they're functioning as, as a family, right? A friend group and, and even a family. And they're like, they're, they're basically wizards. They're enacting this, this witchcraft as, as they're, they're spying on the gift giving at the party. And I love a lot about that sequence. I love watching them work and and sort of understanding right away that there's no such thing as functional fixedness for these toys in their world. There can't be. Like every object that is around them has to be able to serve them in some way, to have a use for them in some way. But also, crucially, right, you see their hopes and you understand their insecurities, their fears. The stress that they have over the party just like reveals this this balancing act in their lives like right away for you. You know, they want... Andy to be happy. And this is, of course, a through line of all of the movies. That's their first and foremost goal and ambition. But it's inextricable from the fact that they're always worried about being forgotten, always worried about being outclassed, about being cast aside, about being replaced. And they live in that constant state, that pursuit of joy, but also that like debilitating existential dread, which, as I say it out loud, just sounds like basically being a human being in the world right? That duality of existence. And I just think that the film is like a fable in that way. You know, there's this really like shorn down, deliberately simplified approach to the story. But the point of that is for you to be able to to see the profundity of it, to, to have a takeaway that feels colossal to you. And it's just all right there in that sequence. It's, it's amazing. Shay, anything to add to that? No, she hit, she hit it all. I knew she was going to do that. I was going to say <laughs> half of that. <laughs> okay my next most rewatchable scene is uh is buzz and woody's showdown this is when they both topple out of the car and the, they're at the gas station and the truck rolls up and you have woody really losing his losing his shit frankly and we get the you are a toy and you my friend are responsible for delaying my rendezvous with star command you are a toy! You weren't the real Buzz Lightyear. You're a, you're an action figure. You are a child's plaything. You know that Amazing. that that intense Hanksian yeah. moment, um, which I think is kind of one of the funniest movies, but also like a weirdly deep question of of confronting who you are in the world. You know, there the, the movie is while obviously ridiculous in this this fable, like you're talking about, Mal. It's also a big big question of identity in this movie and, and what uh, your yeah. what your role is in the world and and what what tribe you belong to and if you want to you can really um drill pretty deep into the ideas that the movie is exploring this was the one scene that when i turned the movie on i was the most excited about seeing i don't Me know too. if that wow. makes it the most rewatchable but this was the one because for one 
I, I like I like when they fight. I just think it's funny. The line that my favorite my favorite line in the whole movie is when they're under the car and Woody is laying into Buzz and Buzz is just like starts talking. He goes through like this whole thing about space and oh, Woody yeah. just goes what and it just fucking cracks me up every single time. The Star Woody, Wars riff, man, that's the yeah, Death he, Star riff. I love it. He, he's giving him like he's laying all of the pieces out and it's just not getting in there. I was I was the most excited about rewatching this one. It's, I, not most excited about rewatching. I was the most excited about seeing this scene again, but this is not my most rewatchable scene. I love this one though. Yeah, that's a great one. The the part that you just cited, Shay, it just kills me every time because it is it is such a simultaneous uh, homage and dunk on the the death of the Death Star fatal flaw thing. You know, I alone have information that reveals this weapon's only weaknesses. That's one. That's emblematic of what we were talking about earlier. With like, if you're an adult and you're watching this, you're gonna have those layers there that appeal to you. I just yeah, think yeah. also in terms of their fighting, uh, uh, you are a child's plaything, and then you are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity is <laughs> unrivaled. The, the best that, line in the movie, in my opinion. That Tim yeah. Allen line reading is fucking epic. <laughs> I, th- so this is like the one of the parts of the movie I remember watching in the theater because again you're a teenager sitting there watching what's in your head as a kids movie and they get into the fight and as they're fighting Woody like pounds on him a few times and he accidentally hits his button and he goes buzz 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 light you mm-hmm. to the rescue and watching it happen and then realizing in your brain what happened right there and that he accidentally hit the button and that this was going it, I thought it was the fucking funniest thing in the world at the time I could I remember just straight up laughing at that part and being like all right this is cool I'm glad you guys like those as much as I do. I think that's really the heart and soul of the movie is these two guys kind of going at it. Um, and it reveals like a little bit of a maturity too. I think the older you get, you can still enjoy that stuff. Next scene, the claw. You, sure you are the one that decided to climb into this. The claw, it moves. I have been chosen. Farewell, my friends. I go on to a better place. God. Pretty iconic. Um, I think once we get inside a pizza planet and Woody and Buzz, <laughs> what are those things called? What, what? <laughs> That's eerily accurate, Mallory. Yeah, I, how long Thanks. have you been practicing that? First time. <laughs> <laughs> what are those? What are those guys called? Those those alien figures? Uh, little green men is what they're. That's like oh. on the box. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's the claw, and you know, you guys have mentioned like a, there have all been already been a couple of um homages to other movies throughout this movie and then a key one is is sid's house of horrors mm. and the uh the the misfit toys which is a just a major homage to todd browning's freaks i don't know if you guys have seen that 1932 film but um in many cases we, like we beat beat no. for beat recreating certain sequences <laughs> in that movie that's the thing about pixar it's like pixar is at once the most arguably the most creative and consistent movie studio we've had since this movie came out but it's also just so indebted to older movies and they're so influenced by the movies of Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and you know the movies of the 1950s and the 1930s they have this you can sense that the, the people who are making them are, are as obsessed with these movies as we are which is part of what makes them fun next most rewatchable scene uh, Mrs. Nesbitt I think you've had enough tea for today let's get you out of here Buzz don't you get it you see the hat I am Mrs. Nesbitt <laughs> snap out of it Buzz just a, just a huge fan of this bit. <laughs> Good old Mrs. Nesbitt. That apron. Poor, poor Buzz. He was broken right there. Man. Literally and figuratively. Nice. Well done. Uh, okay. My last suggestion is Woody and Buzz's race to catch up with the moving truck. 
Um, which is obviously kind of the big finale of the movie. And the filmmakers have indicated in interviews that this whole sequence was inspired by The Wrong Trousers. Have you guys seen that animated movie? The 1993 Mm -hmm. British? No, never seen The Wrong Trousers? Mal, I'm surprised by you. Um, Sounds great. Okay. It's it's incredible. Uh, So. We have more nominees. what, what What did I miss? I have a few more. Go. I love Buzz's arrival. The the again, like it, you could kind of debate whether that's even a, a separate thing than the yeah, toys. I saw that life, as part of the first whole first kind of sequence. It feels a little isolated to me, and I just, I, I, I just, I love the moment particularly when Woody, you know, is is knocked off of his perch as Andy's favorite toy, and the the, the combination of his deep shame and anxiety and then the other toys secondhand embarrassment you know you just it really like crystallizes how their ecosystem works and and then mm-hmm. obviously everything about buzz and the fish out of water sequence it's like the 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 peeling of the onion because the toys are already in this universe that you don't totally understand how they function in it and then you have buzz one layer down in that and like the moment where he's circling them with his laser beam is just well, let's see uh, we got double a's <clears throat> Watch yourself. Bob, who goes there? Don't shoot. It's okay. Friends. Do you know these life forms? Yes. They're Andy's toys. All right, everyone. You're clear to come up. I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. Just wonderful. I like... I'll say two things at once here. All of the Sid sequences are probably my least favorite to revisit, but I do quite like his intro. Like the moment when... They're trying to convey to Buzz why this is like a horror. And he's, you mean that happy child? It's just so, <laughs> so funny. And again, I think like subtle moments like that in the movie really do convey this, this, this persistent theme of perspective and what somebody understands about the world and then when you might reach your own point of understanding. But also, you know, the Woody-Buzz dynamic is like really building in a crucial way in that sequence. And I like, because it's on the heels of Buzz's arrival, that you quickly realize that Buzz is not the villain of the movie, right? That like Woody learning to embrace him and accept mm-hmm. him into their world, that's actually like, that's on Woody and that's part of his growth. Buzz did nothing wrong and it's not his fault that he, he's there and Andy's excited about him and that Sid is going to be the one they're going to basically have to rally together to combat. So I love that. Um, I think that you mentioned Mrs. Nesbitt, but... The sequence right before that, Buzz learning that he's a toy is just crushing. Absolutely gut wrenching. It's unbelievable. He sees his commercial on TV. To infinity and beyond. Not a flying toy. Get your Buzz Lightyear action figure and save the galaxy near you. Buzz Lightyear. And then this seesaw of hope and despair. You know, Sean, you you love First Reform, that idea of hope and despair and existing <laughs> sure inside do. of us at once, right? This That'd is like be a, an amazing moment. double feature. Yeah, I would highly recommend starting with Toy Story and closing out your night with First Reform. <laughs> oh, That's the God. gamut. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Buzz maintaining that conviction and trying to fly. And then, you know, we're, you mentioned Randy Newman. I think we'll talk about the the music probably in what's age the best. This is another absolute masterpiece. I will go sailing no more. And when that when that kicks in as Buzz is looking out at the window, like I don't want to come off as as 
too hyperbolic and and nutty here, but I honestly found myself thinking this this (laughs) rewatch. It made me think of Luke and Binary Sunset in in A New Hope. It's like, I just, I'm I'm an easy mark and a sucker for a character looking longingly off into the horizon, thinking about what they want and not being sure if they'll ever be able to attain it. I just thought, I I love those kinds of sequences and the lyrics, you know, now I know exactly who I am and what I'm here for. And, and then when he takes off and you think for like a second that he might do it and then he falls and he breaks and it's just devastating. I love that sequence so much. Shay, any, any other uh, sequences you want to talk about? No, there were no none that were mentioned. If I'm picking my f- favorite one to rewatch, I think I have a, a a different answer here than I do if I'm a kid or if mm. or if I've never seen this movie before. I very much feel like when the movie starts and the first time you hear Randy Newman singing and they're doing the whole montage with Andy and Woody, like that to that is after knowing what I'm about to sit through, that's the most enjoyable part of the movie. To me, we, you mentioned Ratatouille earlier. Remember when the guy bites the the food and then he like is transported back immediately? Yes. Like, that's yeah. what happens here. Anton Ego. Yeah, that's what happens here when I hear Randy Newman start singing and then you're just like, this is going to be fucking totally. great. Like I, 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 I feel it immediately. I I knew this was going to be like the case. So I, when I rewatched the movie for the podcast, I asked my youngest son if he wanted to watch it with me. We sat down and watched it, and then afterward, I asked him what his favorite scene one uh, scene was, and his was the when the toys scare Sid. He th- thought that was the funniest <laughs> shit in the world. He's like, this "You gotta, sh- you right. gotta show him Todd Browning's Freaks now, man. He He's gonna yeah. love it." <laughs> he was like, "That kid, that kid deserved oh, that. He was a bad kid. He deserved it." So that was Yikes. that was his. Another thing that stood out to me that I had totally forgot about is fucking. How horny Mr. Potato Head is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's just straight up just trying to get a Mrs. Potato Head. Just trying to smash. All, yeah. That's all he wants. That's why, that's, that's why he's the angriest one at Woody the whole time. He, the whole, he's like, no, oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. I think he was jealous of Woody and, and, and uh, Bo and Peep. Bo Peep, yeah. yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, 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 now, yeah. what about you? What's your most rewatchable scene? It's either the the opening for all the reasons that Shay just cited, just like totally instantly immersive and, and, and magical. But I... I think I'm going to go with with Buzz realizing he's a toy because the the thing that sticks with me the most about the movie is ultimately the themes, you know, the the growth and choice and identity and purpose and friendship and all of that I think really like really comes to the fore in, in that in that instant. It's just beautiful. I love it. What about you, Sean? Those are heartwarming choices. I'll go with the second one that I suggested, which is the Woody and Buzz having a showdown stuck at the gas station. That's the one that yeah. I think That's makes awesome. me laugh the most. It's just really funny. Uh, okay, what's age the best? Uh, first and foremost, Oof. gotta say, just the animation. I just This complete revolution in animation that I've talked about a couple of times already. And like Shay said, you looked at it and you were like, something is different here. And while it doesn't look as good as, say, Toy Story 4 looks now for obvious reasons, this movie still looks incredible. I mean, you can show it to your son, Shay. And I, I imagine that he wasn't like, why does this look like shit? He didn't, and he and he says it real quick. Oh, the graphics in this are terrible. If we watch like one of those Sharknado movies or something, he'll, <laughs> let, he'll like let you know real quick. This one he did not say at one time, so I know they're oh still my good. God. We got to get a rewatchable Amazing. Sharknado with you and your son going. A Sharknado wow. is outstanding, <laughs> outstanding. Um, what else is aged the best? I think Disney betting on Pixar. 
you know, Disney was at this interesting yeah. moment in their history where they were kind of just about to exit this golden age, you know, this this Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King. They're on this extraordinary run. There are some good, there are some good movies that came out in the mid '90s. There are a lot of obviously Mulan fans and Hercules fans and Tarzan and a couple of other movies. But this that was kind of the end of that period. And Pixar really bridges the gap. And eventually, Pixar is bought for billions of dollars by Disney in 2006. Other things that have aged the best: that indescribable attachment that children have to their toys. I certainly was one of these kids. I was an action figure kid my whole life. I was so obsessed with my toys and, and these things. And you can see all these fucking Blu-rays behind me as we record this. I have that kind of relationship with these things now that I did with He-Man when I was six years old. But I, you know, Shay, I specifically wanted to ask you, do your kids have the same investment in, in physical toys or are they more driven by like screens and what we understand to be like with the things that distract children now? The older ones are more driven by screens. The younger one is still like, if you take a, he had a plate that he drew a face on and then he just carried that shit around for like, <laughs> like two weeks. Like Forky. Like, like Forky, exactly. No. Like, Forky. like that's why, that, that was the most brilliant part of Toy Story 4. Like you just make a thing, you give it a name, Steve no. the Plate, and then he fucking loved this thing. Just loved it. He was a wreck when it was gone. Like it finally disappeared. But yeah, they did. The kids still definitely get attached to that stuff. A thing that happened when the twins were younger is we very intentionally, I was like, here's a Buzz toy, here's a Woody toy, that's all you can have, go nuts. Four years old, we're like, you're Buzz for, for Halloween, you're Woody for Halloween with the little hats and everything. This year, this is a, a little sidebar, but this year they're, they're 13 and they were asking, they like they do chores to earn money and they like buy their stuff off of wherever, off the internet and it gets shipped to the house and that's the thing that they do. And they were trying to get money fast. And so Larry and I told them we would pay them $100 if they recreated their costumes from when they were four. And they were like, they argued with themselves for like two weeks and then they decided, all right, cool. And so they had the whole outfit on again, but one Buzz, one Woody with the, the fucking cowboy hat and the spacesuit. It was great. So... Yeah, Did they, they change who was Bud and Woody, Buzz and Woody? No, they, or? they were the exact same ones, and it just wow. made me so happy. It was great. That's I think Are You a Buzz or Are You a Woody persists. You know, Mal, before I give you a chance to talk about your toys, and I know you love <laughs> toys as well. Uh, you know, my brother had a kid a couple of years ago, and my nephew is just is probably my favorite person who's alive. He's just so, so cute. One of the <laughs> most painful parts Aww. of the pandemic is just not being able to spend any time with him. It sucks. Yeah. But he is... For Christmas last year, we got him Disney Plus, and he has become a full-blown Toy Story <laughs> convert. And yeah. he watches Toy Story all the time. And wow. now, anytime I'm like feeling like shit, I just buy him a Toy Story toy and send it to him. Yeah. And like that it is it, like it works. Like it, these things, like it's amazing how a movie like this can can last for so long and make people happy for such a profound period of time. And the objects around them, you know, if you're cynical, you can say, well, this is you know, corporatism at its worst and they've built all these toys out of this universe. But on the other hand, like, it just makes him so happy to be holding Buzz Lightyear in his hands. You know, that's really, that is mm -hmm. powerful for young kids. Mal, you, you, you're a young kid at heart. How, how many toys do you have these days? Well, I just want to be clear that I, I expect you to give us your list of favorite childhood toys before we move on. We're, we're, we're not going to let you off the hook for that, <laughs> but I'll give you some time to think it over if you want. Um, I think to that, that last beautiful and heartwarming point that you just made, Sean, that's one of the great sources of wonder in a, a story like this or in anything in life that's like a bridge across generations, right? Something that you not only share with your 
peers, but with your your family members who are older than you, who are younger than you, something that you'll then introduce to other people in your life later on. Like one of my favorite books when I was a kid was Sam and the Firefly. And I loved the story, but what I loved most about it was that I had my dad's copy from when he was a kid. And just knowing mm. that was like the coolest part of it to me. And I, I, you know, with toys, I had a few stuffed animals that I guess that's kind of like on the line with how you used a stuffed animal. If you used it as a toy to play with, or if it was more of like a companion, I think part of what I loved about stuffed animals was that they could function in both ways. Right. I had a Simba Lion King uh, toy that I absolutely loved. Um, I had, I, I had a, decent number of trolls. I used to love to give the trolls like different to cut their hair to give them different hairstyles. Yeah. Had a Big lot of fun year for with you with, that. With, with Trolls World Tour. You must be <laughs> yeah, rocking that frequently. That's right. That's totally my jam. I liked like card games and board games a lot. So, like I love to play um set, the 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 card game set where you're identifying patterns. Uh, I loved to play Mastermind. That was my favorite game to play when I was you're a kid just, and I let me tell you the thing I loved most about it. You're parodying yourself right people. now, Mallard. <laughs> beating people, annihilating yeah, yeah. And, and embarrassing them by destroying <laughs> them. That was my favorite part. And then I think my favorite, my favorite overall toy was by a stuffed animal, a whale named Willie, who my parents got divorced when I was very young. Sean, as you know, and my dad gave me Willie when I was very, very young, and I just cherished him. And as I grew older. And he like had little tears in him. I would stitch them up by hand and I cared for him as though he was my own. And I loved him and I still do to this day. Willie, very special. Um, what about you guys? What were your favorite childhood toys? I also played a ton of video games. I should say that. And and that's another thing, being a child of divorce, right? Like I had a Nintendo at my mom's and my dad got the Super Nintendo. You know how it goes? <laughs> wow. Wow, what a what a charmed life you were leading. <laughs> I was stuck with GI Joes and and Star Wars figures and like I said, He Man and stuck um, with Star you know, Wars I, figures. Look at the look at look behind me. I know. I see I'm what you're doing back there. Um, love a Star no, Wars I, I, action I, figure. I I had a lot of like boy stuff. You know, I was very I was into comic books. I was into Star Wars. I was in I was obviously into sports. But your typical stuff. I mean, Shay, anything? What was one toy that you were like? This is the the most elite shit I had. The most elite toy that I had. This is the the dumbest thing. I like Sean was a was a sports kid, so just like my basketball, football, whatever. Like that's all I was interested in. But one toy that I did get was not even really a toy. It was just a thing that I thought was cool. But uh, my mom bought it for me from the flea market, and it was a ceramic skull with a soldier helmet on from like the Vietnam War or something. And but wow. it was a piggy bank. And it was oh. painted green, and it was huge. It was like the the size of a large man's actual head. Oh. And, for, I, and I thought this was like the coolest thing I had ever been given in my life. Shay, that is straight up terrifying. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, other things that have aged the best. Randy Newman, who I mentioned, just an absolute lord who goes on to be a really important figure in the Pixar story and is one of the you know best living songwriters in this country and eventually did win an Oscar for his uh, work in the... I believe, was it for Toy Story 4? That's when he finally won his his Academy Award. I can't even remember what movie. But not winning it for this one is... I, I want to ask you about this. You're a, a movie expert, you're an Oscar expert, and you're a music expert. Adam and I were having this discussion at home while we were watching these. Is You've Got a Friend in Me in the running for the best original song in movie history? I mean, it didn't win the Oscar in that year, but it's like iconic. Oh, uh, wow. Jeez. 
In the running. All I'm saying is it's, in the it's running. It's got to be in the running. Yeah, sure. It's, it's a in masterpiece. The running. I mean, the, the, the fascinating thing about Pixar's decision to choose him is, you know, Randy Newman is known for this incredibly acidic and, and you know, very literate and very cynical uh, tone. You know, the, the, a lot of his songs are satirical or they kind of cut to the core of humanity. And he's an unlikely figure for a story like this, which is very sweet and is very much about friendship. But there is, there are some dark undertones to the Toy Story story. And I think they made like an, a really smart decision to have somebody who is not just this kind of treacly, kitty, you know, over the top, like shiny, playing down to your audience kind of musician to write these songs. I think choosing him was very, very savvy on their part and indicates like what kind of a creative operation they have. Uh, yeah, I think that the... the the songs are not actually purely saccharine, right? Like they are simultaneously sledgehammers and kites. You know, they they bowl you over mm. with how sad they can be, but then they can kind of like pull you up into the possibility that so much of the movie hinges on. And I don't know, the lyrics and the way that they're incorporated into the key moments of the plot are just uh, perfect. And like Shay said, I think I think Shay's point is is in some ways the most important. You hear that first note and you're just there. You're just ported back right away. That's mm -hmm. that's incredible. That's an incredible achievement. Yeah, yeah. I think it's this song and Shallow from A Star Is Born. There's your top two right there. Wow. <laughs> Fight it <laughs> out. Strong. Fight incredible it out. ringer core answer right there. <laughs> Strong list. Uh, the other thing that has aged the best, and this is the last one I've got, is as you guys mentioned, this movie is 81 minutes and you just love to see it. You love to have a short film that you can watch in one sitting without having to worry about what's coming next. It really, it glides. The pacing is great. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the other Toy Story movies are a little bit longer, but not that much longer, which I appreciate too. Pixar in general has not overstuffed their movies over the years. So what did I forget? What's aged the best? That was the one that I had was this the speed of the movie. What's really to me interesting about that aspect of it is the Lion King does a similar thing when you sit down and it starts out and you have that big song at the beginning. You immediately think of like seven scenes in the movie that you know you're going to get to. Same thing with Toy Story. You're like, okay, I know we're going to hit all of this stuff and you don't realize how fast it's going to happen. You just get to the end of it. And it's really hard to do that in a movie and have it feel natural or like you know what I'm saying? At some point, they were storyboarding it, and they're like, okay, we have to have this scene here, and that scene here, and this scene here. And they had to figure out a way to make this all feel like it was just sort of happening to them. And that, to me, is the most impressive part. That's why I think it's that's the, what's aged the best. I, uh, I'll spoil this. I have the runtime in what's aged the worst, but I'll... I'll <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a hot take. I'll, I'll I'll get there in a second. I'll, I'll, the only other things I had on on what aged the be what what's aged the best is just you know we've talked about it already, but just the themes of the movie, you know the themes of the story, which of course continue to evolve over the ensuing films. But mm -hmm. you know, like uh, the coming of age story, but but with a, that that genius twist that it's not just us it's everything in our life everything around us you know not just the not just the fabric of our existence but every thread in the fabric of our existence and and getting you to think about life that way is incredible you know like we said earlier choice identity who who are you what is your purpose yeah, yeah, yeah. can you can you change that does somebody else decide that for you what happens when you in the, the power of the moment when you realize that you can make the choice to change something about your life and again you know friendship community growth, self-actualization. It's just, it's 
it's awesome. Um, yeah. And I'd say, you know, the other, really the other, thank, thanks, buddy. The other what's age the best would be uh, Sid's Converse. You know, just a, a <laughs> great pair of shoes on Sid, you know. Can't believe what a sneakerhead you've turned into. Don't you think some once in a blue moon moments should happen more than once in a blue moon? You know, you don't get to see friends as much these days, but isn't it great to have them out on the back porch, hanging out, drinking a blue moon? Blue moon is on a mission to celebrate and inspire more of those moments. Just like those looking for the special in the everyday, blue moon takes a twist on the traditional Belgian wit. Me, I love to have a blue moon anytime I'm hanging out with friends or even if I'm just trying to wind down at the end of a busy workday. Blue Moon was created during the 1995 baseball season at the Sandlot Brewery at Coors Field in Denver, Colorado. A one-of-a-kind appearance and bright taste. Bright, well-crafted beer with a twist of flavor, refreshing notes from a full-flavored beer unlike any other beer. Best served with an unmistakable signature orange garnish and glass to showcase beautiful hazy color. Why the name Blue Moon? As someone was tasting the beer, they said, a beer this good only comes around once in a blue moon. Once in a blue moon should happen more than once in a blue moon. The next time you are out with friends or just enjoying a night in, reach for a blue moon. It's the beer you can enjoy every day. You can have a blue moon delivered by going to get.bluemoonbeer.com and finding delivery options near you. Blue Moon, reach for the moon, celebrate responsibly. Blue Moon Brewing Company, Golden Colorado Ale. Uh, what's aged the worst? You know, Shay, I think you kind of addressed this, which was I wasn't sure if kids were still playing with toys in quite the same way. And it seems like they are. Fortnite has not completely won the war yet with uh, young children's imaginations. Um, I was going to make a Pizzagate joke regarding Pizza Planet, but I'm not going to do that for the sanctity of our democracy. Uh, what else has aged the worst besides Mallory's take that it's the runtime, which is wrong? Yeah, that's really bad. That's really bad. All right, let me explain. Do you want to defend that first? <laughs> I actually have in my notes... Shay and Sean will roast me for this. <laughs> okay. As you should. So I know that it's I know that it's a, a an unpopular opinion, but I just I think it's in it's just about how I consume content in 2020. You know, an hour and 22 minutes, a few minutes of which are credits. Like an hour and 15 minutes of a story is a television show. Yeah. So I, mean- I just I just I just wanted a little bit more. I just wanted to spend a little more time with the characters. Again, I think that the fact that they're able to do so much so seamlessly and well in that time is obviously a credit to uh, to the to the vision and execution. But I just wanted wanted a little more time there. Wanted a little yeah. more time there. Sorry. <laughs> from, the, from the from the gal who brought you binge mode comes Toy Story. Yeah, is too exactly. Short. An, an hour and twenty two <laughs> minutes is uh, either an episode of TV or a very short binge mode. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go to casting what ifs because there's some really interesting ones here. Um, Billy Crystal was originally offered the chance to voice Buzz Lightyear, but declined. After seeing the finished film, he said the decision was the biggest mistake of his career. Upon mm-hmm. learning this, John Lasseter telephoned Billy's house to offer him the role of Mike Wazowski in Monsters, Inc. Interesting sliding doors I don't think he could have pulled it off. You don't? He's not rigid enough. Tim mm-hmm. Allen is like, mm, chin out, chest out. You believe it when you hear it. Billy Crystal can do a lot of things. That's not one of the things he can do. Okay, couple more then to that point, Shay. Chevy Chase turned down Buzz Lightyear. Could this Chevy one Chase I like. have done it? I like I, that I don't, one. I don't think so. I don't yeah, think so. Definitely. A little, his, <laughs> his corners are a little too rounded. Chevy okay, Chase. what about... I've got more. What about Bill Murray? No. He's too, he's too snarky. <laughs> Mal just he's twitched. Well, I mean, because Bill Murray can do anything. Come on. No, no way. There's no way. <laughs> he can't do this. He can't very seriously deliver the line you're a sad strange little man he couldn't have done it It would have come out so different (laughs) 
Okay. This one would not have aged well, but let's go back to 1995. What about Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson could have done it. 1995 Mel Gibson could have done this one. I thought he so did, too. I thought he, he would have been, I thought he would have worked. He's Braveheart. He's fucking William Wallace. He could do this. Okay. What about this one? Bruce Willis. Hmm. That's the trickiest one. Hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to go thumbs up, but I do have some, I do have some doubts because he gets a little bit too much inside of his own head when he's in the movies. And I think maybe that could have happened here. You again, Tim Allen is a perfect for this because he has to be able to shut everything else off except for his pursuit of outer space. And that's it. And you have to <laughs> treat this so seriously for it to work. Right. But do you guys remember when Bruce Willis crushed the voice work and look who's talking? I mean, he really, he was, he was ready for this. He was, that's, I don't know if you're joking or not, but he was, good. I'm not, he, oh, was, okay. he was dynamite. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, there, there's one, I guess, kind of important wrinkle to casting What Ifs here too, which is that Tim Allen has said in many interviews that Pixar originally wanted two different people for the two lead roles. He said that Pixar wanted Jim Carrey to voice Buzz Lightyear and Paul Newman to voice Woody, but they couldn't due to the low budget they were given for the film. Those casting choices were meant to represent how new Hollywood was taking over old Hollywood, Newman and Carrey together. Obviously, Paul Newman went on to appear in Shea's beloved Cars as Doc Hudson. Uh, Jim Carrey and Paul Newman. Mal, what do you think? I mean, it's one of those <laughs> things where on the one hand, you never want to say no to, to Paul Newman in or as anything, right? True. So like a, a, a guiding principle in, in life and moviedom. N- n- another one of my heroes. That's exactly right. But I think I've just spent way too much time with Tom Hanks is Woody to even conceive of anything else. It's just like nothing else seems right or makes sense to me. But you're the Paul Newman head, so what do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not a huge Cars guy, but I think he's more well cast as Doc. Um, I, I, I like the idea of these guys being generationally similar. You know, I like the idea of Tim Allen and Tom Hanks essentially occupying the same space. And if you want to get really kind of pointy-headed about it, Tom Hanks as the pillar of American movies and Tim Allen as one of the, if not the biggest star on TV at that time, maybe Jerry Seinfeld, a couple of other people, but, you know, Home Improvement was a massive TV show. Oh, yeah. Massive. And that that polarity between movies and TV and the kind of the new generation and the old generation, I think it works in that respect too, outside of these two mediums. That said, Paul Newman should be in every movie. Paul, um, Newman, Paul Newman was the only name that could have come out of your mouth for the casting what if that would have been like, oh, okay, I wouldn't have mind seeing that over, over Tom Hanks. With Buzz... With Buzz, I think there's like several actors that you could slide in there. And it's like Robert Redford could do this. Denzel Washington <laughs> could do this. But with, Paul, with, with, with Woody, it's got to, it, it has to be, there has to be, you know, like when you rub your fingers across the outside of a peach and there's that softness to it, it has to, his, the voice has to have that. Paul Newman's voice has that. Ooh, I dig it. There, I, had, I had one other one that I thought was interesting. There were not a lot of what-ifs for the other characters in the film, but apparently Rick Moranis was approached for Rex. And I felt like this would have been really good. Yeah. Now, while Wallace Shawn is yeah. great, but but Rick Moranis is a legend. That would have yeah, been awesome. Been, he could have done it. He could have done that. Sean, I saw... Uh, this is, falls into, I guess, half-assed internet research as well, but I saw Jeremy Irons as Mr. Potato Head out there. Is that real? <laughs> 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 or is that like an internet fever dream? I don't I don't know. I like the idea of in 1995 Jeremy Irons choosing between Toy Story and Die Hard with a Vengeance. You know, that's a perfect <laughs> So good. Uh recasting couch. I probably wouldn't recast anybody. I feel like this is kind of perfect. But what do you guys think? 
I want Denzel as Buzz. I like that. I think it's, a, it's a whole different movie. He fucking I'll ride, I'll ride with Shay on right that. over. Yeah. Okay. I'm not mad yeah, at Denzel as Buzz. The Dion Waiters Award for the biggest heat check. Um, I'm going Don Rickles as Mr. Potato Head. Just tie it on to something. Wait, 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 wait. I got a better idea. How about we don't? Hey. Potato Head. Did you all take stupid pills this morning? Have you forgotten what he did to Buzz? And now you want to let him back over here? No, 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 no. Gotta- I think that's a great one. I, 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 would, I would throw ham into the mix as well. Ham is John Ratzenberger? Yeah. And then, of course, John Ratzenberger goes on to voice, I think, a character in, is it every single Pixar movie or is it like north of 20 Pixar movies? His voice I think almost has been everyone, used. if not all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, anybody yeah. else? Wallace Shawn is Rex. Anybody else up for Dion Waiter, Shay? Uh, I like that Mr. Potato Head. Okay. He's great. The Joey Pants That Guy Award. I think it's all the same folks that we were mentioning here. Wallace Shawn, John Ratzenberger. I think Arlie Ermey we got to throw in the mix here as the sergeant. Yeah. I got another one pick, for you. He's my pick for this one. Okay. Let me, tell you, let me tell you what happened when I was scanning the cast list for this. I got to, on IMDb, Eric Von Detten, who voices <laughs> for Sid. Sid, and I literally <laughs> shouted, that guy! Because when I was a kid, <laughs> I used to watch Brink, the skateboarding movie that he was yeah. in. He was like a teen heartthrob. And mm-hmm. I used to watch that movie all the time. And I just was like, my mind was blown seeing that he had Ed Boy Sid. So that's my pick. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's a good one. That's a, what was it? What was he? Uh, Josh in The Princess Diaries? That fucking guy. That's right. Did either of y'all see the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, the most recent one? Yeah, I did. With Jim Carrey? Oh, man. Yeah. Jim Carrey was great in that. I was just thinking was. about it when you mentioned him. I think he could have also done uh, Buzz. Just based off of that, I just love I just love Jim Carrey. He had a solid Dr. Robotnik. I agree. Uh, the Vincent Hanna, give me all you got, award for <laughs> overacting. Um, I wanted to throw out a potentially controversial choice here, but is, is Hanks overdoing it just a little bit in this movie? I don't think so, but also yes. Okay, so let me let me <laughs> let me answer your question with a question. Aren't they all and isn't that the point? Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's fair. Like it's an exaggerated rendering of a certain type of existence. I, I would pick Wallace Shawn Rex as Rex, but again, like to be clear, I adore it and I respect it and I think it is intended to be that way, but Rex is so over the top that that that's my pick. Were you scared? Tell me honestly. I was close to being scared that time. Oh, I'm going for fearsome here, but I just don't feel it. I think I'm just coming off as annoying. (coughs) I'll accept Rex. That's fair. Um, Okay, I'm going to give you guys just some half-ass internet research. I'll try to move through this quickly. Are we skipping the Brandy Booth Award for Outstanding Animal Performance? Oh, I guess who who is it? What what is Sid's dog's name? Scud. Scud. <laughs> is Scud the winner? Well, how many Scud. chewies does Scud get? <laughs> I I think we could make the case again for Rex here because technically, you know, Rex is a dinosaur. So, I think you could you could give Rex this this honor, but of course, disqualified. Scud uh, plays a pivotal role in the film. Whiskers the cat makes a uh, uh, just a, a auditory appearance. I have a I have a whole speech coming about whiskers and unanswerable oh questions God. later. Oh <laughs> and then, of course, we get Buster's barks at the end. You know, Buster plays a big role in the ensuing Toy Story movie, so it's a lot of animal action. But, you know, Scud is like 
I mean, he's Sid's number two. I'm going seven Chewies for Scud. Is that a lot? What's the most number of Chewies? I honestly have no idea what this category means, so let's just keep I'm, it moving. I'm going to uh, go eight then. <laughs> Half-Ass Internet Research, as I mentioned, this movie was nominated for Best uh, Original Screenplay. It's the first time an animated movie has ever been nominated for this award, which is fascinating. Eat uh, shit, Phillips- Chris Ryan. Sorry. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Somebody had to say it on this pod. Thank you for doing so, Mal. <laughs> Sid Phillips is said to be inspired by a former Pixar employee of the same last name who is known to disassemble toys and use the parts to build bizarre creations. That's unsettling. This is a uh, tough beat to have your colleagues put out into the world. Sid is based on someone <laughs> we worked with. That's really rough. Tom Hanks recorded his dialogue during the breaks of Sleepless in Seattle and A League of Their Own. He didn't want to record his dialogue during the breaks of Philadelphia or Forrest Gump because he felt he shouldn't do comedic roles in between minutes of playing serious roles. Interesting. That's cool. The carpet in Sid's house has the same hexagonal pattern as the carpet in the Overlook Hotel from The Shining. This movie is riddled with little movie facts like that. Um, what else? Hasbro denied Pixar the use of the, the name G.I. Joe when it was informed that a G.I. Joe doll was going to be blown up by Sid. The doomed action figure was thus referred to as Combat Carl. Huh. Uh, the toolbox on top of the milk crate that Woody is trapped in is a Binford, which is the same type of toolbox that Tim yeah. Allen uses on yeah. Home Improvement. Hell yeah. Uh, okay, what else? In full production, Toy Story employed just 110 people. By comparison, The Lion King was made with 800 people. Oh fascinating God. about the way that digital wow. technology was able to streamline animation. Uh, Disney Disney pushed hard for the film to be a musical like most animated features of the time, but Lasseter was against the idea. He felt it would work better as a buddy comedy. Eventually, he and Disney reached a compromise and that songs would play at key moments but not be sung by the characters. Mm-hmm. Pixar wouldn't make a musical until Coco 22 years later. Hmm. Um, it's worth the wait. The toy shark wearing Woody's hat proclaims, look, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. This <laughs> references a cowboy eating vulture in one of Gary Larson's The Far Side Daily comic strips from the early 80s. Hey, everyone, look at me. I'm a cowboy. Howdy, howdy, howdy. An early possible title for this film was You Are a Toy. Buzz Lightyear was originally going to That's be named aggressive. Lunar Larry. Imagine this movie with called no. You Are a Toy starring Lunar Larry. No, but they named bomb. him after Buzz That's Aldrin, right? So they, you know, yes. yeah, you got to. You got to honor Buzz. And then the Luxo lamp uh, from Luxo Jr., the Pixar short, which became the Pixar logo, can be seen on the desk in Andy's bedroom. Wow. Any other half-ass internet research you guys spotted that you want to cite? I didn't. I don't have any. I mean, okay. there's a ton of them on the internet that you could just throw out. You could basically say anything about this movie. Oh, and the, <laughs> yeah. in the fourth minute of this movie, they pay homage to Harry and the Hendersons with it, or whatever. <laughs> You just do it. It's so so packed in there. We'll have to wait for the Harry and the Hendersons rewatchables. So, picking nits. Now, Mm -hmm. I have some questions about the logic of Toy Story. Okay. Um, So, Buzz doesn't think he's a toy. Mm -hmm. But how does he explain his inability to interact with Andy? Like, you know, obviously with the toys, when when a human being comes into the room... They deanimate. They 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 can only be controlled by the humans. Now I have other questions about that too. But Buzz has this moment of crisis now that you've talked about so 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 deeply, so thoughtfully. Um, <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Time on, time on, time on, time on, time on. Are are they unable to come to life, or do they are they choosing to not come to life? Well, I don't know. I, I always thought Wait, they were choosing we not do to. Know. 
because of what they well, do to Sid. Right, right. So they're choosing. But yeah. that's that's my point. Why why would Buzz, who is a spaceman in his own mind, choose not to interact with Andy? What no, is wait, it? hold on. Hold on, though, actually. Let's dig into this for a bit. Because the way okay. they interact with Sid is different, right? It is different. Like, Woody is using his... I mean, he's saying different things than what's programmed into his voice. But his head rotates. But there's a different level of activeness and like fully realized personification for the way that he is interacting with Sid. But obviously all the toys make yeah, the, the other choice come out. to, yes, to behave and act and animate themselves and show that they have personality and intention and agency, crucially agency in front of Sid. Like it's, it's less to me about how their faces are moving and how they sound than are they revealing that they have free will and the capacity to act on their own. So, why doesn't Buzz do that in front of Andy if he doesn't believe that he is a toy? That's a really good question. I guess our answer probably comes to us in Toy Story 3 with the, you know, the switch, the play mode, demo mode, switch, mm -hmm. and this aspect of, again, self-actualization. Like, it's a process. The toys have to realize who they are. And, you know, one of the things that's different about Buzz and the other toys in Andy's room in this movie, and thus as we meet them, is that we don't see the first moment of Woody's life. But we know, for example, from Toy Story 2, that he didn't know that he had a TV show, say, right? So even Woody, who we think of as this fully realized person toy, doesn't know his own history completely. And so they are always learning. They are always evolving, just like people. And so that would be my answer, is that maybe there is something instinctual in Buzz's DNA as a toy that tells him when the person comes in, you lie down, you power down. Maybe it's self-preservation. Ah. Maybe it's an understanding about the interactions of the universe, the social norms. <laughs> right. So it's it, like a chameleon or an octopus that can change colors or something. I'm going the other way here. There's, I think it's a version of that, Mallory. But I think all that Buzz is concerned with is getting back to outer space, fighting the Zorgs, whatever. So he's playing and, along and, just for that. Andy is not critical to that role. He doesn't have any reason to like talk to him or interact with him. So he's just in yeah. camouflage mode. That's what that that's why because he avoids all the other humans as well. He is he recognizes that that they're there. They're running off through the Pizza Planet place. Like he's doing all that stuff. He knows, but he does not care. He doesn't worry about them one single percent because they don't have anything to do with where he's trying to go or what he's trying to do. Right. He thinks about threats and how to obscure himself. Yeah. Under okay. Pizza Planet I, discarded trash. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know if we have effectively responded I, to the I answered it. I answered it. Descartian <laughs> nightmare that is Toy Story. You know, the 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 notion <laughs> of existence that cut that that bubbles to the surface in this movie. I thought you were gonna ask a different question actually. I thought you were gonna say Basically, like, okay, yes, it's the premise of the, the entire saga and we have to suspend disbelief, but really nobody can see the toys ever moving around, running across the street, right. flying on a rocket, climbing in and out of windows. I thought that was going to be what you said, but I had my answer prepared for you if that was what you said. Were you going to say it's all a dream happening in Andy's mind? <laughs> no, it's like, it's of a piece with uh, how wizards explain why muggles can't see them going through platform nine and three quarters at King's Cross or walking into the leaky cauldron. It's because they what? don't... <laughs> Word. Word, Shay. <laughs> they don't 
take the time to look. It's an indictment of humanity. People do not uh, take the time to just observe what is around them. Ever. I buy that. I buy that. I think that's a good I think that's a good take and maybe as closely as we'll get answers the question. Couple of other nits to pick. Okay. Why doesn't Andy realize he didn't bring Woody into Pizza Planet? Um, Cuz he's a young child. Car, you, you take him to the car ride. <laughs> this is a parent move. You oh. a kid wants to bring a toy, bring it in the car but you're not bringing it in Pizza Planet cuz you're going to fucking lose it. So oh, leave it here. That way it's here when you get back. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, how about this one? Can you order fireworks in the mail? All right, th- this is this is number one <laughs> on my list. Uh, it's that easy to order an explosive in the mail in 95, and if you're a child, like, there's no... I mean, I guess... Yeah, definitely. I guess the mail probably helps in that way, right? And in 2020, you can't. In 95, you can order whatever you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want. Didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. Oh what, what, what were you Lord ordering? Me. How do you know I was that? ordering all kinds of shit out of the backs of magazines. <laughs> there was like straight up like you ordered cherry bombs out of the backs of... Remember they had like a little cutout thing? You could you could get that stuff. It was like not not that difficult. Oh um, can't say I was doing that shit. I gotta be honest. I was I was right. hanging out with He Man at the time, as I recall. <laughs> um, so, so someone raised this online, and I wanted to throw this one your way. Mal, you might actually have a logical answer for this. I'm not sure. I think it dovetails with the Buzz question about his you know his purpose and what he thinks his 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 um his role is in the universe. Woody's greatest fear is being abandoned by Andy. However, as we learn in Toy Story 2, he has a toy from the 1950s meaning that he has been around for a long time. As such, there is no way that Andy is his first owner. Why doesn't Woody remember any of his previous owners and know that being abandoned is just part of being a toy? Okay, we have the answer to this. This is because we hear Andy's mom say that Woody is a family toy, which means that even though Woody is, is focused very heavily on Andy specifically, he has, as we understand it, remained in the Davis family. And so okay. that's, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be my answer to the question that gets to an unanswerable question, but that I'll, I'll, I'll wait, I'll wait to hit, but I'm glad you mentioned this because I think, I think Andy's mom plays maybe an even more pivotal role than we realize. I think it's PTSD. I think he was just so hurt by it. He blocked it out. And that what happened wow. with, with, uh, with Jess, it was just like activated a memory later on. Okay, so let's That's just do I this think. now because this is my unanswerable question. I, I, I'm sorry to skip ahead a category. It's just so germane to what we were discussing. And it's also not about this movie. So I'm really fucking up here. I'm sorry. It's about <laughs> Toy Story 2. Is Emily... Jesse's original owner, Andy's that's mom. That's one of the that's one of the theories on, it's a, on the it's a internet. Great yeah, Toy Story theory. A Toy Story. They never say her name during the movie, right? And you never the fact get it. that Andy's mom has said that Woody is a family toy. You know, there. What do we know from the whole Bullseye Jesse prospector sequence in Toy Story two that they're a set? Maybe that set was always in Andy's family. There you go. Nice answer. We're cleaning. We're cleaning up here <laughs> in this category. This is this is this is why we do this show is to answer the big questions. Let's do best quote before what we go into other picking nits? questions. Was that it? You got more? You always have like five thousand picking nits, Mel. This is your specialty. A key editor trait. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a lot of what's age the worst or picking nits for this movie, which is of course a credit to the movie. You you hit a lot of them already. I, some of them are so so uh, petulant. I won't even bother with them. But let's see. I will observe that you know you're supposed to root for the toys, right? They're the heroes of the movie. I am personally just appalled by the fact that we're supposed to accept that they tried to get Scud hit by a car in, in the climax. <laughs> like they're just—they're ki- trying to kill a dog by running him into an intersection with moving traffic. Maybe, maybe I don't just think they were trying Scud. to do that. 
Well, I think they were just trying to escape. They're with that outcome. That's fine. All right, here's another gonna, one for gonna, that sequence. If you're getting chased by a dog, that's going to eat you alive in your head. Okay. Yes, you were the dog. All right. One of the reasons I don't have you guys, you guys had this scene on your most rewatchable scenes, and one of the reasons I don't is because I think I have the most nitpicks for this. The, the getting into the moving truck at the end. There's that one. I don't know what's wrong with me. Why I obsess over details like this? It drives me crazy that there's like nothing in the moving truck. <laughs> Where is all their stuff? <laughs> there are a handful of boxes like and like three boxes. pieces of furniture. I don't understand. They have a, they're packing up a house. Where where is everything? <laughs> also, I know that That's their toys are, are again they're persistent. They're inventive. They set a course. They figure it out. But. They're fast enough to catch an actual moving truck initially, like when they're running after it and then the toy car before the battery dies. Like they can catch an actual vehicle. Now, I know the truck is going through a neighborhood and so we can yeah, presume that it's going area. very slowly and also there are stop signs, but that's that's a lot. Some that's race cars go fast. There are some fast RC cars, like 40, right. 50 miles an hour. Okay. Last one I'll throw out here and then we can move on. I don't buy the out the window buzz, you're a genius Woody sequence. That feels out of character for him. Woody is the is is figuring out plans always. Also, he threw Buzz out of a window or he or orchestrated a series of events that led to Buzz getting knocked out of a window. That's why they're there in the first place. And it never occurred to him to try to exit through the window or communicate with their house through the window when they spent all this time in their own house watching Sid's house. That father's It's me. not a bad point. <laughs> it's not a bad point. Anyway, great movie. My, okay. My, my main thing I was thinking about when I was watching uh, this was I just wanted to know what Andy's mom said to Sid's mom why he wasn't mm, invited to the party. Because mm, he was not That's an there. unanswerable question. He yeah. was not there. This episode is brought to you by Coca-Cola. Listen up, Marvel fans. Coca-Cola and Marvel are teaming up to release limited edition Coca-Cola products featuring your favorite Marvel characters. You can assemble your own Marvel universe. And if you scan your Coca-Cola, you'll have a chance to win super-powered prizes and unlock powerful AR experiences. But you gotta hurry. These collectibles won't last long. No purchase necessary. Open to legal residents of the U.S. and D.C. who are 13 and up ends on June 30th, 2024. Visit coke.com slash marvel24 for official rules. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring comes with a lot of chores because, you know, spring cleaning. One thing you can clean up right away, though, is your phone bill. Switch to Mint Mobile. They have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. $15 a month, that's like two streaming services. It's two sandwiches. It's like four coffees. Why wouldn't you do this? Get this new customer offer. Go to mintmobile.com slash rewatch. That's mintmobile.com slash rewatch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for a first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Let's do best quote quickly because I have a couple of bigger mm. unanswerable questions that That's I want us to ones. talk about. Um, Shay, I think you nailed the best one, which is you are a sad, strange little man and you have my pity. You are a sad, strange little man and you have my pity. Farewell. 
But I love all the interactions between Woody and Buzz, especially in the first half of the movie. All right, that's enough. Look, we're all very impressed with Andy's new toy. Toy? T-O-Y. Excuse me, I I think the word you're searching for is Space Ranger. The word I'm searching for, I can't say, because there's preschool toys present. Getting kind of tense, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) That's good shit. Um, My dad, for years, for whatever reason, has always repeated the Mr. Potato headline, you uncultured swine. What are you looking at, you hockey puck? Mr. Finnessy, I love you for that. (laughs) That's a great one. I love that about you. So good. Um, And I think this isn't flying. This is falling with style is is iconic as well. Um, There's a snake in my boot. It's the most repeatable one. It's that's just a good one. Great. I love a couple of the Rex ones because I love his anxiety. You know, he says I'm going fearsome <laughs> here, but I just don't feel it. I think I'm just coming off as annoying. And then at the end, when he says, "Great, now I have guilt." Yeah. <laughs> I also love when Buzz is in full Mrs. Nesbitt mode, and he says, "One minute you're defending the whole galaxy, and suddenly you find yourself sucking down Darjeeling with Marie Antoinette and her little sister." <laughs> sounds sounds like a great way to spend an afternoon, to be honest. Okay, could this work as a 10-episode Netflix show in 2020? I say no. Of course it could. Yeah, I vote, I, I vote no as well. No. It, it's a movie. It has to be a movie. If you do 10 episodes, at, we're talking about 300 minutes now, that's too many minutes. That's too many minutes. I agree. The brevity is what's so brilliant. I love, and I, I love that we, 25 years later, we got Toy Story 4. I want 5. I want 7. I want 12. Like, let's make this a movie franchise. That's what I'm into. I, I was done at 3. After three, I was like, I think we've hit all of the points. I like four. It's fine. But it felt like three was as good as it was going to get. And then when four came out, I was like, yeah, three was definitely as good as it was going to get. Okay. Unanswerable questions. We've already pitched a couple. I'm reluctant to get into this because this could be a 30-minute conversation. But just very straight up, can toys die? Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Child's play? They're out of here. They're out of here. <laughs> well, a non-battery operated toy, they can die. Yeah. I mean, if they had fallen into the fire in the in the in the trash dump in, in the Well, that's destroyed. Third movie. Right? That's destroyed, yeah. but can you become inanimate, I guess is you my think question. They're just in the atmosphere oh. now, like the fucking demon from Fallen, <laughs> just looking for a new body well, like, to go into. So you're Incredible talking about reference. something you're talking about. This is this is very like existential here cuz you're almost talking about like can they like lose their souls? Yeah, that's but that's the a huge part of the movie. I mean, that's really in many ways what the movie is about. There's a toy heaven. That's that one what, Tupac had a song about that toy heaven. <laughs> Okay. Another unanswerable question. Uh, Is Buzz Lightyear, this toy that we meet in this film, mentally unwell? Or do all the Buzz Lightyears that come out of the box all believe they are space rangers? (laughs) They they all believe they're space rangers because we see see at Al's toy barn when the other Buzz replaces him for the mission that he's behaving exactly the same way as our Buzz initially was. Okay. Uh, (laughs) is, Is Woody an asshole? No, I like I like um, somebody watched somebody watched Toy Story. They're like Buzz Lightyear's cool. Let's make small soldiers, and they just like, <laughs> they just stole. They just have a bunch of Buzz Lightyears all together. I like small soldiers. Me too. Um, it's awesome. I okay, think that, that Woody okay, no. is. 
I think Woody can be an asshole. Yes. But I think that's actually no. part of why. Listen, no. hold on. Listen. No. I think that's part of his charm and part of what makes him such a gripping character because he's relatable. He's actually like a fully realized individual. He's not like to me, if Woody was just always like sickly sweet, you know, candy coated goodness, that's not nearly as compelling. The fact that he struggles with his insecurities and that when he is in the, those moments where he's he's combating his own doubt that often manifests in being a really ungenerous person i i, I find that like uh, among the most successful executions in the movie i agree that he is complicated in his emotions and that he's doing more than just being sweet but i don't think anything he does allows him to be classified as an asshole i don't think there's one single thing what about just, when he knocked the magic much, eight ball down the that was an the accident desk and then that was an and accident. then looked and said, "Wow, what if I what if I knocked Buzz out of the bedroom?" Trying to go so to that Pizza Planet, never play with him. <laughs> he was in the middle of an existential crisis. We all have our struggles. It's about how you overcome them, and Woody is able I, to. Good for I him. I think if you can argue that somebody like had they were temporarily insane, and you can get them off on murder, you could do that here with Woody. He was. He was in the middle of a thing and he just wanted one last time with, with Andy. That, I think that's one of the like lasting impacts of the movie. When you rewatch it, for me anyway, a, th- a thing that is to me interesting when you revisit a movie you watched with a kid is you see it through like a whole different prism. Like when you watch this as a kid, you're like, oh man, I hope Woody and Buzz make it back to Andy. Like that's all you're thinking about really. Oh man, isn't Sid crazy or wild? That's all you're thinking about. When you rewatch it as an adult, you realize... And you were talking about this earlier, Mallory. Like a, a thing that's driving them is they're all at all times worried about being discarded. That's what makes the introduction of of Buzz into the universe, into their their sort of universe, so compelling. Because Woody, when he's doing his like whole town hall thing, he's not worried about his position with the birthday party at all. He's just trying to keep everybody else calm. It never crosses his mind that he could be replaced, and then Buzz shows up. Yeah, but and that's he's hubris. Having, and now he's having to deal That's with that. That's hubris, though. Right? Guys, guys, I've, I've opened up a can of worms here. I think <laughs> you got it. I don't think there's should... anything wrong with saying that Woody can occasionally be an asshole. All people can occasionally be assholes. But he's not an asshole. He no. Maybe he can be one, but he's yes. not. That's what Sean That's said. A, is, Sean, is, is Woody an asshole? That's no. A, that is the, the crucial distinction. He is not an asshole, but he can behave like an asshole occasionally, as we all can. Two more quick ones. Who hurts Sid? Okay, there's a there are a lot of unanswerable questions for Sid. Let's let's spend a few minutes on Sid. But I I think there are a lot of unanswerable questions about Sid's family life. Like Shay informed us that it was super easy to order explosives in the mail in 1995. I accepted his logic because it was a it seemed like an informed statement. However, <laughs> I I I then have an unanswerable question about you know, we hear Sid calling out to his mom. We hear his sister calling out to the mom. We see a, a foot in the recliner when Buzz sees his commercial. There is an adult in the home. Mm-hmm. Any any checking up happening on what Sid is ordering in the mail? It's not like he's hiding his activity. He has a murder bench set up in his bedroom and yeah. is exploding things in the backyard. So that's just... This is a so kid who knows he doesn't have to worry about that. He, you can, you know what you can do? You can look at the backyard mm-hmm. and know, oh, they, some people live here who don't care about this. It's sad. And that's all that you need. That's all that you need. Yeah. But he does, they do set him up to be the hero in Toy Story 3, which well, is great. 
he would we call I mean, I guess it is heroic because we hate Lotso, but certainly I think you could say the fact that Sid is still torturing toys as an adult means that he has not maybe evolved in the way that we hoped he would. I think he's doing all right. What do you guys think that Sid's years were like after this terrible sequence in his backyard where the toys came alive in front oh, of him was, and he was, it was terrified? A tough, it was a tough stretch. A yeah, tough I think stretch. he probably got Sid. super into the band Tool, you know, spent a lot of time <laughs> listening to those records. Um, probably got really, he's probably a big Reddit user, probably would be my guess. Um, okay. <laughs> best case, let's, let's keep, best let's, case, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> just going to say, let's keep it moving. Um, I wanted to ask whether Bo Peep and Woody get it on, but that just seems inappropriate for this conversation. Well, Way I mean, they're, they're, they're fucking up a storm in Toy Story 4. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Jesus at the Christ. end of it, at least. <laughs> okay. Apex Mountain. Um, so uh, Tom Hanks in wait, 1995. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait. I had a bunch of unanswerable questions. I'll skip them, but I have to ask you this one, please. Okay. I have to ask about Whiskers because when... They're, when the, the toys, they don't know that Buzz has gone off on this journey. First to Pizza Planet, then eventually to, to Sid's. They, they're searching for him in the bushes. And Rex, we hear a cat meow, and then Rex yells at Whiskers for interfering with their search and rescue. So I, I found myself wondering, who is Whiskers? Is Whiskers a neighborhood cat? Does Whiskers belong to another family on the street? Is Whiskers perhaps a stray? Or is Whiskers actually the family cat? And then I went to see if Whiskers had a Toy Story wiki. And, and Whiskers does have a Toy Story wiki. And apparently, Whiskers is... There There are some some conflicting evidence online, but there's some people who think that Whiskers is, a, is the family's cat. And my question is, if that's so, why don't we ever see Whiskers again? Obviously, Buster I don't think it's the role. family cat. It can't they be, right? Because they all freak out when you get the dog. Cat. They would have been accustomed to having pets in the house already. And especially because we see how they respond to the cat in Toy Story 4. It it seems impossible that they could have been spending all this time with the cat. There's no way. I'm going to be super real with you. I've never once thought about Whiskers. Just don't have Whiskers whiskers on the brain at all. like on that street? Straight up. Is Whiskers okay? Yeah, he's he's just trying to stay away from Sid is all he's doing. (laughs) Okay, guys. Apex Mountain. Tom Hanks in 1995. Let me give you some quick context on where he is at, okay? Mm-hmm. He wins his second Oscar for Forrest Gump at the beginning of the year. Apollo 13 and Toy Story are released within five months of each other. And in this year, in wow. this year, he's filming That Thing You Do, which is his directorial debut. Wow. That's, that's the money time of all money times. Is that the highest apex we've ever had in the history of this show? I would us? guess yes. <laughs> Who, I don't know. The only other person you can compare him to is Denzel. And I know you did Denzel Training Day. Yeah. But I don't think Denzel had this much stuff going on at that particular time. Okay. So this is a historic Apex Mountain. A couple of other Apex Mountain questions for you. Steve Jobs? So (laughs) Steve Jobs executive produced this film. Okay. And at the same time, he was on the brink of selling his next computer and returning to Apple to run Apple for a second time, which then shepherds in this extraordinary moment in technology where he develops the, uh, um, you know, the iPod and the <laughs> iPhone and the iPad and the, the, the technology that we hold in our hands every day comes in this second wave. And this is right when Jobs is, is, is about to burst. Yay or nay? Thumbs down from me. So oh just to God. be clear, though, with both Jobs and the Hank case, you're, 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 Hank's case, you're talking about the moment in time, not Toy Story specifically, right? 
Well, they're all connected, right? I mean, toys. I think the rise of Pixar, Jobs gets a ton of credit for that. And he, it's his relationship with Bob Iger that leads to Pixar eventually being acquired in 2006. And so, you know, I think the, the success of Toy Story and the system that they build at Pixar, he gets a lot of credit for. The same reason he gets a lot of credit for the development of the iPhone, for example, even though he was not a digital animator animating Toy Story. So, you know, a pretty pivotal moment here. Hmm. Okay. Next, l- last one is this uh, Apex Mountain for Toys. Oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> that, wow. Just blew your mind. Oh, my yeah. God. Blew my mind. I'm going to oh, vote oh. no. I'm going to vote the Apex Mountain for Toys was when Robin Williams made Toys. <laughs> That's my pick. That's my pick. I'm pro Robin Williams <laughs> in all arguments. Another person whose voice could have been effective in this movie, by the way. He would have been. He's been, been great in anything. He could do it all. Remember, remember one hour photo? Uh, that's all. just that's not appropriate for this pod. Um, we're talking all. about Toy Story, Shay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last category. Who won the movie? Mallory, who won the movie? Woody. Absolutely. Why? Because as we discussed, even though as we discussed, every character has on a sliding scale some level of an epiphany or a surge of growth and development, an emotional, spiritual journey, a literal journey in many cases the entire Toy Story universe hinges on Woody's choices and Woody's growth and Woody's sense of self, how he understands his purpose in a given moment, what role he has for Andy, for the other toys, when he starts to realize, I mean, obviously at the end of Toy Story 4, going way ahead, that he can maybe live his own life at that point. It's actually all Woody's story, even though it has become this expanded the masterful universe and it just it just doesn't work if you don't feel as invested in in Woody's story as you ultimately do. Yeah, that feels exactly right. All of the like most emotional moments in the Toy Story franchise are coming off of Woody's beats for yep. the most part. Um or bullseye. It's, it's it's yeah, it's got to be <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be Woody here. Buzz Buzz makes a great run at it. And it's hard when you're the you're the second lead to overtake the first one, but he gets he gets pretty pretty close. But it's got to be Woody. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think we have has to be. unanimity here. It has to be Woody. Um, I guess Buzz to, is a, a Slink, close though. second here. You know, we haven't mentioned Slink. Just want to want to yeah. say his name before the end of the pod. <laughs> Slink is solid. I'm not mad it's at great. Slink. Any other toys you you feel bad about uh, not shouting out the RC car or anything else? Mister Spell. Oh yeah. oh yeah, Mr. Spell was elite. <laughs> yeah. He good, good heat check from Spell. Great, great work by the Etch a Sketch also in this mm. movie. Got to say, good call. Yeah. That was that was hardcore when he drew. Oh, the yeah, when, uh, that was Hangman's rough. Myth. Yeah, but that was really under under the cruel guiding hand of Mr. Potato Head. You know, that's my guy <laughs> right there. He was not fucking playing around. He was trying to have sex and lynch people. That's all Mr. Potato Head was doing in Toy Story. Uh, that's an amazing place to stop this very fertile conversation about 1995's Toy Story. Uh, if you want to hear more of Mallory Rubin, you should listen to Binge Mode. If you want to hear more of Shea Serrano, you should listen to The Connect. What else, guys? What else you want to pitch? If you want to hear more of Sean, you should listen to The Big Picture. (laughs) 
And that's it. This, is, this <laughs> has been an amazingly deep conversation about an 82-minute film called Toy Story. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks.